This episode is brought to you by our Patreon page over at patreon.com slash gamezilla media. Which means this episode is brought to us by you. Right? That's how not it works. no, not me. No, no, the fan. Right, yeah. The yes. listener. We're talking when I say you, I mean the listeners. Yes, the the figurative you, right? Yes. But nobody else is in here with us as we record this. Who are I'm you lo- talking I'm about? I'm looking at the computer when I say it. Oh, oh. oh no. Alright. So just go to GameZilla Media on Patreon.com. There you'll be able to choose your patronage level and get different access to the shows. So you can get exclusive content for The Legend of Retro and Noobs and Dragons. Noobs and Dragons? The show with that handsome devil, Craig WK? Well, almost all of those words were right. Yeah. And if you go on there and sign up, you can also get access to a private Discord channel in our Discord group. Basically, the more dollars you give us, the more things we can give you. Exactly. So go to patreon.com slash gamesillamedia and become a patron today. Do it. Yeah. Prepare yourselves for a journey through history. Get equipped for adventure. Grab your power gloves and super scopes, for it's dangerous to go alone. This is the Legend of Retro. Welcome to this week's Legend of Retro podcast. My name is Chops, and with me at my side, like a hawk on a shoulder... Pe- Pe- <laughs> All right, to say your name. Kaka. Craig WK. I was gonna keep going with something, and then I couldn't. I couldn't top that. Uh, and we also have with us the glitch. The glitch. Not getting out nope. of our system. He's the ghost nope, in the here shell. I'm to stay. I moved in. I brought myself oh, a sleeping bag. That's not good. And a pillow. I don't know if if, uh, if we got. I don't think there's heat in the studio on the weekend. Uh, Oh, I'm not turning that heat on. No, that's, that's costs, a lot of money. That costs a lot of money. That's a ton of money. We're not spending that kind of money. <laughs> you just buy an extra sleeping bag. You'll be fine. I'll be fine. I got my bundle ch- up. I got nachos with me. Oh, nachos. Nacho blanket. Anyways, uh, today we are talking about a game that is on a system that we have not talked about on any episode. I can't believe this, by the way. It's just nuts. And, I, you know, I, I blame myself because I tend to forget about this system a lot because all the games kind of blend together. <laughs> Honestly, they're not complicated. That's they're not. For sure. they're, they're very simple. <laughs> yes, very, very simplistic. Uh, it is the Atari 2600, which is an incredibly influential system. And Absolutely. Had, you know, Co- huge cultural significance. <laughs> Absolutely has cultural significance, my friend. I didn't grow up with an Atari. My first video game system was a Nintendo. Oh, okay. So I didn't really play the Atari until I bought it at a garage sale. Oh. Years later, and I mean, it was interesting. Like it was fun, but like I bought an Atari Twenty Six Hundred when I was uh, a kid, probably like around I don't know ten ish or something. And I bought it for like five, ten bucks or something. And I had all these games, and it was like, oh, these are okay. They're not Nintendo, but they're okay. And that was sort of my like kind of like you know mindset when I was younger. Yeah, the, the game we're talking about specifically though is Pitfall. With an exclamation point. Pitfall! Pitfall. Uh, and I own this game. I own an Atari. I, the, the thing I love real quick about the Atari is that you look at these cartridges and you look at these fully illustrated covers and you're like, oh my God, yeah, I want to play this game. Like, I look at Indiana Jones and I'm like, oh, this looks sweet. I look at G.I. Joe. Oh, this is even better. And then you put it in and you're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, this is just, it's just squares. <laughs> And there's tones. 
And then if you wanted to like play hockey, there's like the the thing when it was like hockey, football, or soccer, and you put like the the plastic on the TV. Yeah, the overlays, <laughs> and that is your overlay, oh, man. <laughs> but it's the same game. You just oh, put the new overlay on. Sorry. Anyways, well, I have to feel for the kids that grew up with the Atari because a lot of these were arcades that were ported to yeah. the Atari 2600. So. People would be looking at a game like, oh, man, I love, you know, Cubert or something like that. Like, oh, it's such a great. man or something. Yeah, something like that. And you put it in your tight just one. And it's just, like, poor graphics. Bare and, bones. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's sim- simpli- simplicity. And uh, that's, I think, turned off a lot of people, especially towards the end of the Atari's life cycle. Yeah, and because you also had, so what year did the Atari come out? Do we know? I believe it was 81. So but, you had some personal computers coming out around that time, right? I mean, I think only for the the very wealthy, because I mean, computers were pretty pricey back then. Oh uh, well, I mean, you did have some computers, and you had computer games, so like, well, I there felt was like, like Commodore sixty four yeah. and stuff like that. So I mean, it, you're you're right in that uh, regard, but like, I do feel like in the early eighties, if you had a personal computer, it was probably pretty expensive. Oh, okay, I guess you know? I don't know. I wasn't born then. Nope, I was born in eighty four. Uh, am I the oldest out of us? You are. Absolutely the oldest. And uh, I didn't even have to ask Chops. <laughs> nope. Spry young youngster that he, uh, oh, he, he is there. The glitch is younger than me. Are you? No, I'm older than you. No, you're not. 86. 87. You are you older than me. <laughs> I mean, I know nothing about how <laughs> numbers work, but yeah, 86 is... <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me, let me go back. Let me count backwards. 2018, 2017... 2016. Well, while Chops does that, let's go ahead and at least touch on the basics of this game. So, Pitfall, with an exclamation point. Pitfall! (laughs) Thank you. Was released by Activision for the Atari 2600 on April 20th, 1982. This platformer game stars Pitfall Harry tracking down... uh, uh, you know, different treasure throughout this jungle, and he has to contend with uh, things like uh, quicksand, rolling logs, snakes, crocodiles, scorpions, uh, and uh, basically, you know, the the more you fall into pits, the more points you lose, and you have like uh, a timer in order to uh, get all the the thirty two treasures. Is that right? Thirty two treasures. Yep. Thirty two treasures, and that's the game, right? That's so. And uh, you have a twenty events? minutes to do it. Yeah, so you have a time limit of twenty minutes, and actually, so. Uh, this is actually very difficult to gather all yeah. 32 treasures within the 20 minutes. The game is frustrating. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, we can already skip two. There is one entry <laughs> in speedrun.com, just one, uh-huh. and the time is 19 minutes and 10 seconds, which means he did it with just 50 seconds remaining. Yeah. And that's the greatest time and in the, the world. that's the best time. And wow. it was made three years ago. <laughs> wow. No one else has done it. Now, like, is it that nobody wants to try to yeah, beat I'm it? Sure. Or is it that it can't be done? A little bit of both. I don't okay, think it can be done enough. any faster than that. Wow. But, but so uh, a perfect score, if you collect all 32 treasures without getting hit by any enemies, uh, you get a score of uh, 114,000. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you take damage, it goes against your score. So if you get hit by a rolling log... Uh, your score starts to deplete. Yeah, it's like the longer you're touching the log, yep. the more time or points goes away. And But other enemies just kill you outright, right? Like if you fall and hit a scorpion, you're just dead and you have to start over, right? Yeah, it's kind of like Pac-Man. He does like a little animation and he dies. Yep. Uh, and so then there's crocodiles. You have to jump over creeks. And then the thing that I think appealed to most people and what I remember loving about this game was uh, the rope that you swing The swinging across. vines. Yeah. And the music, it does have like a jingle that plays 
Now, can you tell what that jingle is? Because it took me a, a, a little bit of watching it to figure out what it is. No, oh. no, I don't know. Uh, oh my God. Is that what right. it is? It's the Tarzan yell. That's what you have to yell when you swing on a vine. I don't know about you two, but anytime <laughs> when I was a child and I swung on a vine, I did the Tarzan yell because I you never, can't not. I never realized that. Was that uh, when you spent, you swung on the vine when you spent your time in the rainforest? Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's my, my why, youth in the, uh, the, the wilds of uh, South America. And yep. that's why Craig has always bust the reins down in Africa. <laughs> I said South America, but sure, Africa. Whatever. <laughs> I just wanted to get Toto in here. Um, Can we just play that for the music today? Oh, God. <laughs> that should be the undertone. Whenever you're listening to this episode, just listen to that song underneath on repeat. Also, uh, listen to that song as you play Pitfall. So the lead programmer, uh, yeah. David Crane. David Crane, yeah. Yep. So uh, he worked for Activision, which uh, Activision was the first of third-party developers. I will say that when I saw that this game was made by Activision, I was like, oh, Activision bought it later, right? And I was looking at it, and I was like, oh, wow, no, Activision was active back then. It, it was, yeah, it was not Call of Duty. Nope. <laughs> wow. Uh, or Popeye Blizzard. At the time, basically, everybody had to go through Atari to get their game published. And uh, Activision was its first of its kind. I mean, there was no one else like there developing their own games and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. you look at how it is now. I mean, that's that's how games are made. It's yeah, all bulk of games are third Independent party. developers and stuff like that. But yeah, Activision started it. Uh, David Crane, who was the main uh, programmer, like I said, mm-hmm. uh, he created this game. He also uh, made... I have them here somewhere. Oh my God! Kaboom, uh, Grand Prix, Blast, and Freeway. Which three of those mm-hmm. were in the top six best-selling games for the Atari? Wow! So he programmed, and those three were the best-selling four. Or uh, so I'm sorry, uh, Laser Blast and Freeway and Pitfall were the three best-selling Activision games on yeah. the 600. Pitfall sold over four million copies. That is four crazy for an Atari game. Right? Four million copies. I, uh, I I thought it was also interesting that David Crane, uh, when he made Pitfall, ascent, to the best of my knowledge, essentially what happened was is he he had like made the he figured out how to animate a guy running, and he was like. Okay, now what do we do with this? Like, he didn't necessarily sit down and he was like, I want to make a game about a guy who runs through a jungle. He made the animation of some dude who could move, and then from well, there he was like, hey, this looks great. What are we going to do with well, this? Well, that was the, 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 the special thing about games from that generation was it was, a, it was a combination of make something entertaining, but learn how to do new things with the technology. Yeah. So they're making these games that they're like, well, this is brand new. No one can else no one else has figured out how to do this. We're gonna make a game out of out of this. And that was that was the majority of, of games of the Atari was we discovered how to put X amount of squares or things on top of each other and move them X amount of pixels over and we're gonna create a a, a software title on it to make it so that people buy it. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, they kind of had to do that. That was sort of like, I mean, it was just sort of like, all right, what do we do? Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Because, like, you know, you, you look at so many Atari games, and it's just like a little blur of, like, pixels, and it's like... Tanks, like you know. the tank game. Like, it's two squares shooting squares around squares. <laughs> 
And you know, this is the reason for the crash of 83. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so all these games were just, they were just throwing games out at the, on the 2600. I mean, if you ever look at someone who had an Atari 2600 collection, it's literally just like a giant box of just random games because oh, yeah. there's so many. And yeah. they were just crappy ports of arcade games. So people would go, about, oh man, yeah, I'll buy this, I'll buy this game, I'll buy this game. And then before you know it, it's like, hey, I got this really crappy game. I don't feel like playing it. And then people just stopped buying games. Mm-hmm. And that was the main reason why they had that market crash. Yeah. Was just the, mm-hmm. the crappy ports. Well, and, and, I mean, the only thing that I really enjoyed about the Atari was the nice wood paneling on it. It looked really good. I love that good. design. It's got it a real nice wood panel. so classy looking. You put that right next to your stereo system that has wood paneling on it. And your station oh. wagon with wood paneling on wagon, it. And then your house that has wood yeah, paneling the, the, on the it. The walls are covered in wood paneling. With a nice big ashtray next to it because everybody smoked in their house that time. So you had mentioned the uh. 4 million copies. Yes. Uh, that was actually, so Pitfall was the second best-selling game for the Atari 2600. Wow. Any idea what the first one is? E.T. Uh, nope. No, the first one, was it Raiders of the Lost Ark? Uh, that was actually, I, I believe it was third. It was in like the really? top five. So the first Good one guess. was Space Invaders. Pac-Man. Pac-Man? Pac-Man. Isn't that Pac-Man. a crappy port, though? Pretty much. Interesting. I played a lot of Pac- I have Pac-Man. Have like, you played, I have a lot of it. Have you played Pac-Man on the 2600? Yeah. It's a really bad port. Oh, it is. It's awful. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I think that was in the collection I had bought at that garage sale as a kid. Uh, there was like that game, uh, I don't think Pitfall was in it. I don't remember playing that when I was younger. Or if it was in it, it didn't work. Uh, Asteroids? Like, uh, there was some space shooter type game. I don't remember if it was Asteroids or not. Uh, maybe it was like Centipede or something like that. There's that. Space Invaders was on the Atari. Maybe it was Space Invaders. It might have just been regular Space Invaders. But uh, there was also some kind of like cowboy game. You know? Something something culturally, you know, horrific where it's like you shooting Native Americans or something. And oh, they're wait. like, oh, Are yeah. You this leisure is great. Shoot Larry? <laughs> L- what? No. Oh, okay. I hope not. <laughs> Leisure Suit Larry. Isn't to the best of my knowledge, that's not a cowboy game. Well, okay. We'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> so this game was really popular. Uh, it was uh, ported on the twenty six hundred, like we said, the fifty two hundred. Uh, the Atari 8-bit, the Kinkovision, the MSX. Do you guys even know? Never even Microsoft? I don't know. Uh, no, MSX was, uh, I want to say it was a Japan-only system. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Because I think the MSX had uh, uh, the original true version of Metal Gear. Uh, yes, it did. Yep. It did. Yep, MSX had that. And I do not believe that came to America. Hmm, I don't know. If it did come to America, then it was it was very rare and like didn't take off very well. Uh, but I don't think that it did. It also came out on the Commodore 64 and television and the Apple II. Wow. Oh, wow. That is so, so many I systems. Waited a PC one. I, uh, so I, I do have a question for you guys. And, uh, and, and I hope you'll indulge me with this question. So the the our, our hero who travels through the jungle to get this treasure. Pitfall Harry. Pitfall first Harry. name Pitfall, last name Harry. Yeah. So like is his first name Pitfall or is it a nickname? I don't is that your was that what you were gonna get at? Yeah, absolutely. I wanna know. Yeah, I don't know. Why is he Pitfall Harry? Wouldn't what, he be what parent names Harry? their child Pitfall who doesn't also want to horribly scar them? Maybe it's a Tarzan situation. He was reborn or lost in a jungle full of pitfalls. And became synonymous with pitfalls and was named by the world and the animals that took care of him. Well, then why is he hunting for treasure if he has no Because he's got to get money to find his parents to get revenge on them for leaving him in the jungle. <laughs> I mean, I just always assumed it was just a really hairy guy that lived in the jungle. 
and he's oh, pitfalling. He's constantly like falling Harry into pits. Yeah. And the Hendersons? Oh, gosh. Just a super hairy guy swinging on vines so and falling into pits. So if it's a nickname, is it like Pitfallington Harold? Is that his <laughs> oh name? <my> is <laughs> is that is it like Pitfallster? We can only wish. I'm trying to think of all Pit like filibuster. Uh, Pitfalginald. <laughs> <laughs> Every fan of ours that's named Pitfalginald is just like these guys are jerks. Oh, Pitfalginald, they're talking about you. What? No, they're not. What are the odds? Who, who would have had another name like mine? It's a family name. Why are they laughing at me? Pitfalginald is my name. Pitfalginald. Um. Anyways, uh, mm-hmm. this game though, like, like along with the, with all the other Atari games, I probably only played like twice. So when did you play this game the first uh, time? I, do you remember? So I, I vaguely remember. When I think it may have been before we got no, I think I've always had a Nintendo in the house. I don't know. Maybe maybe if I was just like sick of playing Nintendo, I was like, I'll play an Atari game, and I put one in, and I have regrets. Uh, so <laughs> I probably played this very young as a kid. I would say five or six, maybe. I've always played video games, so it's hard for me to remember exact moments. Right. Also hard for because you to remember anything because I what what's that? <laughs> Nothing. Where am I? I have terrible memory. It's that cardigan. When uh, when did you play? Uh, <laughs> when did you play uh, uh, Pitfall? Uh, and for that matter, Atari the most. So uh, Atari, coach. I my experience was my my great uncle had a cabin uh, in mm-hmm. Gaylord, and we would go there every Fourth of July. I remember it as a, as a as a kid up until I think we stopped going there. When I was 14-ish. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with the Michigan area, Gaylord is uh, pretty much like the place. If somebody ever tells you, oh, I'm going camping in Michigan, somehow they have family that has a cabin in Gaylord. It's just sort of this. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. It's just everybody has family or or knows somebody with family who has a cabin in Gaylord. It's just sort of like a Michigan thing. I don't know what it is, but go on, Glitch. That's interesting. You didn't. You didn't know that. <laughs> no, I didn't. That's a straight, straight up thing. I yeah. honestly, yeah, I have a friend who has a cabin in the Gaylord area, and yeah, we, you know, yeah. Absolutely. Or, or uh, what's the town at top right of the mitten? Port, uh, is it Port Huron? Um, oh, I, um, Port uh, Pitfallington, right? Pitfallginald. Yeah, Port. No, there's like another town too there that like any time I've talked to so kids from any, the college, they've had a cabin. If anyone has a cabin that's not in Gaylord, don't trust them at all. It's probably, yeah, they're murder, probably lying. murder or something, right? Oh yeah, they yeah, come to my cabin. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll have a good time and we'll get some nice. Yeah, it's in uh, it's in Pontiac. <laughs> what? what? No. No, 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 serial killer. No, thank you. So, Anyways, uh, uh, so yeah, we would go up to his cabin. and He uh-huh. had the 2600 there. Uh, you know, it was his kids, and there was just basically. He moved it to the cabin because yeah. it didn't get a lot of play through, and that's all I would do when I was there. It's funny you go up camp and everybody's at the at the bonfire and they're going fishing. I'm over there like, oh man, the 2600, I get to go and play the 2600. <laughs> oh, July poor weekend. child! I'm so excited. And he had this dresser just full of them, but he had like great ones. I mean, he had uh, Empire Strikes Back. He had Raiders of the Lost oh, Ark. He had and square so he had pitfall. The one square. And he had that <laughs> other square versus another square. Uh, but uh, so I I played a lot of Atari 2600 when I was there. And Pitfall was my favorite game when I would play that. And so that's the experience I got for the 2600, which I ended up buying one later in my life, and I have a decent collection. Is there any decent collection? How many games do you have? For the Atari? Yes. I don't know, probably somewhere like 50. Yeah, decent. I mean, for the Atari, that is only decent because they had so many stupid games. But uh, uh, do you know how many games are on the 2600, like the grand total glitch? I do not. Oh, okay. 
Well, we might have to look that up later. So I'm curious what percentage you have completed for the 2600. I mean, I, I would put a guess that there's probably like a thousand. <laughs> you I mean, know what? I You're would, probably not so far like, off. Look like it the, up. The NES has uh, 720-ish or something like 30-ish. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, I would guarantee that it already probably has more than that. Wow. Uh, but, but I will say, I, I think that there's no better experience for the 2600 than at my uncle's cabin like is there any better way to experience the atari 2600 anything more retro than at my uncle's cabin like there's just there's something about that that's so endearing to me that you know it's it's not that you you had it at home it's not that you played it a ton it was sort of a special occasion system and i get that you know for for people who are maybe a a generation above us uh or in my generation, but lived a different life uh, because I'm older than you guys. But I, uh, I do think that I, uh, I, uh, there, there's, I don't know, there, there's, it's just sort of like kind of a, uh, a common thing for our generation that it wasn't that you necessarily owned an Atari 2600, at least for most people, it was either lying around in storage or <laughs> it was, you know, like at like a family member's place that like didn't have any other systems or something. And none of them ever really work hundred percent. If you ever <laughs> yeah. find a 2600 now. Uh, something's either broken on it or you gotta, you know, wiggle the power button a little bit. Yeah, that happened with my 2600 that I bought at that garage sale. Eventually it just stopped working and I ended up like throwing it out. In hindsight, I probably should have just like seen if it could be fixed. I just sort of assumed because I was a kid, I was like, ah, whatever, it doesn't work anymore. But I also wasn't super into the 2600, you know. Now, I, I, while Chops looks up that grand total for the amount of Atari 2600 games, I, I do want to know, I, I don't remember. With the Atari 2600 glitch, is it the uh, the pitchforks that you have to like pop into the back of the TV and screw in? Or is it the regular cables that you uh, like screw in? So it, it it's not a coaxial. So it, you have to get an attachment for this. Um, mm-hmm. Most TVs or like VCRs at the time had, a, it's almost like an RCA port. But yeah. it was just one plug. So yeah, it was the yeah. audio and the video was just one plug, but it was basically like how the RCAs are. It's that big big you know button you you push it through and um but so you can buy attachments to put a coaxial on it okay but yeah now i uh, i will say when i was younger uh and i realize it's not as uh uh you know like good of picture and sound quality or whatever but like when i was a kid uh, because i had a bunch of systems i had a, like a nintendo a super nintendo a nintendo 64 and i had a playstation i had the uh the what do they call the rca uh, plugs and so I loop I linked them all together in a chain. So whatever system was on, that would be playing. So I could feasibly just like I didn't have to change plugs or anything. I just had all my systems at the ready. That's amazing. It was really cool. It was really neat. And I realized that like the like because I would have like more pretentious friends like my buddy Sean would be like, well, you know, you're not getting as good of like quality if you don't you know don't plug in the red, yellow, and you know like gray plugs or whatever. And I was like. Yeah, but I don't have to move my TV. I don't have to do anything. I just turn it on and it works. So, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we had that growing up, too. We had the one TV, and we had the NES and the Sega and the Super Nintendo. Yeah, they just yeah. Chased, chained, chained together. Yeah, just linked all together. And you could tell when, like, the fourth one was plugged in because nothing would come in clear. <laughs> 
wasn't that bad at quality, but I also had a really small TV uh, when I was younger. Like uh, originally, when I played games, I it was on like uh, you know like the living room or basement TV. But eventually, when like my family realized, oh, Craig's the only one playing these, and he's taking the TV every time he wants to play, they slapped like for it was like Christmas or something. I got a TV. It was like one of those TVs with the VCR hooked in, like the all in one, which was great. But it was like such a tiny, tiny pit, oh, yeah. uh, screen. Uh, but Chops, did you find the grand total for Atari games? I did, and we're going to be surprised by this. There is more than 565 games, okay. but it's divided into three categories. Mm-hmm. So it's games published by Atari and Seer- Sears, well, Sears, games published by third parties, mm-hmm. and then homebrew releases. <laughs> okay. So that includes the homebrews? Yeah. And it's only around 500. 565. Hmm. Interesting. That is interesting. I would have thought it was more like uh, a glitch set just because it was so they flooded the market. But maybe they just flooded the market in a short time period because the Nintendo did last a pretty long time. I mean, the system was released in 77. So 77 to when did the Atari kind of like, you know, fall out of favor? That would have been by what, like uh, the mid 80s? The final licensed games were released in Europe in 1990 and 1992. Those poor Europeans. <laughs> what were they thinking? They got they got a game in '92 for the Atari 2600. Man, you know what? Every so often, I'll see like online somebody like complain. They're like, "Man, I'm in Europe. Like, we always get the short end of the stick." And I'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." But that's terrible. But that's almost 20 years. Man, that's a long time. Yeah, but I mean, how long? Too long. I, PlayStation Two. I mean, they made <coughs> PlayStation Two games for like 16 years, didn't they? Yeah, something, something like that. Like that. I think, but, yeah, because like 2012, I think, was the last game that came out for that system. Um, quick side mm-hmm. story for me on Atari. We had, I think you could get like g- attachments to it that were like almost like keyboards, <laughs> right? I don't have any of those. I just have the joystick. We like had the, like a Sesame Street one. Really? Where there was like you, um, it was like a, gen- I, can't, I guess I don't remember if it was for the Atari or not. There was like this this game pad that we had that had buttons and had letters <laughs> and you could put plastic covers over them. And depending on which game you were playing, you put that plastic cover over and it changed the, the way the buttons looked and it told you what they did on it. You know, like press stars or Chop, stop. I think that was a speak and spell that you were playing with. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I'm gonna, uh, no, I know I got to look this up. So I, I don't think it was Atari. I, I think I know what you're talking about, like those like the, the with like overlays and stuff over it yeah. and stuff. But I don't know if that was Atari or not. So he's kind of right, but basically wrong 100%. Uh, <laughs> Go on. Atari... Jaguar had that kind of controller and it had the overlays where you could put it on the button. You know, you had like buttons and you could put put that on the controller because it's a gigantic well, controller. There's no way Chops had a Jaguar. But the Intellivision. The Intellivision was that? Was it? like that. It had a phone essentially. It had the one, two, three, four. Is that what you're thinking of? No. That's you're not thinking what of something I'm thinking different. Of. But um, I mean, we as well talk about uh, Intellivision had some odd attachments as well, which, you know, we're talking about the Atari 2600. Intellivision had an attachment. That plugged into it on the side, and you could play Atari Twenty Six Hundred games on it. Which really think about the licensing. Like you could get sued for something like that. If you, you absolutely came. could. If if like Sony came out with something like, "Hey, this is our new you know model of PlayStation," everyone was like, "Okay, it plays Xbox One <laughs> games." People would lose their mind. You guys, Microsoft would just be like, "I'm sorry, what?" 
You guys thought I was an idiot. Oh, no. You guys thought I was wrong. Well, well this I, is where now, here's the record. Is stand. For the record, while I do think you're an idiot, I do not think that you are wrong. Well, yeah, you do normally. <laughs> that you're wrong? Most of the time you think I'm wrong. Okay, fair enough. You're you're right about that. <laughs> Yay! So there <laughs> is got? an Atari Kids controller that is a blue box that has the numbers one through. It's like a, like a phone, sort set up like a calculator set up. Oh. And you put, I'm gonna get to the picture for you. For different covers over them, and they went over and they made the buttons different things. Oh. And so there's a Burton Ernie, there was a uh, Sesame Street uh, Big Bird one, there was Oscar the Grouch, Cookie Monster. And you plug this in, and then you put the cartridge. Here's another picture evidence section. Exhibit B. Exhibit B. Uh, there was cartridges that went along with them. Now, here's a, a very important question for you, Chops, and, and I guess for you too, Glitch. No, I did not learn anything from these. <laughs> well, Kate, I have another question. <laughs> I who who who's who's your favorite Sesame Street character? Oh man! So, dis- despite the controversy, we'll say of Bert and Ernie, um, people always compared me and my brother to Bert and Ernie because I had a chubbier face with like a bowl cut as a kid, and <laughs> and he had a a t- he was a taller kid and he had a unibrow, <laughs> so like. <laughs> They associated like like as like Burton Ernie. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, Glenn Shaw. What about you? It's got to be Grover. Grover's he, awesome. He was nuts. Like he just always went crazy. I uh, I always felt that I could I could really connect with uh, Oscar, Oscar the Grouch. The Grouch. Yep. <laughs> of course. You didn't even have to finish that sentence. It no. was there. Uh, that or the count maybe, but he didn't really drain people's blood so much as he counted things. Yeah, because he was the count. Right. Uh, we got way off topic. All right, so um, uh, we can talk a little bit more about David Crane. Uh, he, oh, yeah, sure. So he wasn't, uh, he worked for Intellivision, and then when Atari started to fall, he ended up teaming up with Gary Kitchen, and they started the company Absolute Entertainment, and they created a bunch of games for that. I don't know if you guys, that name mm-hmm. Gary Kitchen sounds familiar It kind of does. It does. Why? So you guys recently did an interview uh, for an episode with... Patrick Hickey. Patrick oh, yeah. Hickey. And one of the games he covered was Bart versus the Space Mutants, which Gary Kitchen uh, oh, produced. In, uh, okay. Programs. Yep. Nice. So uh, da- da- uh, David Crane was an assistant pr- uh, programmer for that game and one of the, all the other uh, Bart versus blah, blah, blah games. Um, Bart versus the world, Bart yep. versus the Space Mutants. Uh, Bart, what was the other one? I uh, There was a... There's a Game Boy one that I saw at uh, Deadite's house. That Bart versus the Juggernaut. Uh, radioactive, yeah. The Radioactive Man one. Yeah, that's right. Because, uh, yeah, there was Bart versus the Juggernauts was another one. Man, such games. Such games. <laughs> yep. Such much games. Indeed. Anything so else? I do, have, I do have a couple things. Um, IGN in 2008 put out the list of greatest games for the Atari 2600. Pitfall was number one. Ooh, so Glitch is on point with his this being his favorite uh, Atari 2600 game. In 2012, Games Radar put out a list, and it reached number one as well. Mm. And then the fans on Atari Age did a ranking of the 100 greatest games on the Atari 2600, and it placed number two behind Pitfall 2. 
Oh, so so they love the Pitfall series. Man, Atari, Atari fans are because it's the so series. different than the other games. It, you know, there's yeah. so much more depth to it. He when he falls, he falls into a tunnel that he can get up in ladders. Like, there, I I can't think of another game other than Space Invaders, for my opinion, that really was a successful, fun game that I wanted to play on the Atari. No, that's, I mean, that's fair. Like, I, I, I think that for me, the Atari 2600 was a, it's going to sound bad, and I don't mean for this to sound kind of like degrading to the system, but it was sort of an oddity. It was sort of like, oh, look at this. Like, oh, it's sort of like this kind of like, you know. But that's because we came after the fact. Yeah, that you know, exactly. That's the thing. It's like, I never played the Atari 2600 when I was a kid. Well, really little kid, I played the Nintendo when it first came out in like 87 or whatever is that was my first video game experience. And it was like, oh, this is it. And so when I went back to the 2600, it was just sort of like, oh, but it's not as good as Nintendo. Well, I mean, like, yeah, like like if you say Sega CD or 32X, like looking back on it now, as if there was kids in their generations like, well, but it's not a PlayStation, you know, it's or it's not a Saturn. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, no, it's the same kind of thing. It's because we kind of came afterwards. You know, if I think we would have a different opinion of it if it was we grew into it and it, it came out as we were progressing and the technologies were progressing. Oh, I was just going to say, I do think that your your nostalgia has a lot to do with it. So when you look back and you're like, oh, Nintendo 64 was my first video game system. Right. And then you look at Super Nintendo and Nintendo, you think like, oh, eh, you know, but when it's like kind of in reverse, it's actually like, well, no, but the Super Nintendo actually had way better games than the <laughs> right. 64, you know. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I do think that like, you know, like what you grew up with does have a really big impact on like, you know. Like there, there is that like you know like oh everything before my it's first like a video shelf game life. system yeah kinda it's like you know everything before my first video game system is just sort of like archaic and weird and I don't like it even though in some cases you know the games are way better right you now I think it has a lot to do with how the games age too I mean there's nothing really on the twenty six hundred that aged well and I think that really hurt it a lot whereas yeah. Nintendo has you know a, a small a decent library of games that still perform well oh, sure. pick it up and it's like wow this is such a great game yeah you can play Mario Super Brothers Nintendo. 3 but yeah. I mean I look at the N64 and the PlayStation era like they got great games but they did not age well at all there are that is sort of one of my beefs with the that era of gaming is that like polygonal graphics started to get big but when you look at a lot of those games you think to yourself, like, man, it just like, oh, well, it's just real not. It's not very good. That's the same thing with the Atari generation. I think it was the pushing of what can I do with these technologies mm -hmm. to make these games different that no one else is doing. Whereas Nintendo, they kind of perfected that up front, and it was about utilizing the memory of what I could do in a game, not necessarily the technologies and changing things. Because yeah, like I, I don't think of any like groundbreaking technological advances in gaming in games in the Nintendo I think of execution of what was there better I think of polishing of things that they were had in that system yeah. unlike in Sony and the Xbox era where it was three dimensional things it was the ooh I can now do this with this game I can you know make them jump uh, in the Z direction instead of just the X and Y yeah yeah, no, I, I think that you're you're definitely onto something there. The uh the the fact that Nintendo wasn't really like, you know, they weren't like, okay, what can we do with this? It wasn't like they, you know, would come out with something and it'd be like, oh, we figured out how to make somebody move. It was like they already had that. Right. They had, you know, it, it it was. It was more of them just like, okay, what can we do? 
you know, to make this look a little better? How can we polish up the graphics? How can we add some animation More to responsive. it? You know, you know, and, and I, peripherals. Sure, sure. And I and I do think that there are definitely some some games on the Nintendo where you know it's like oh, like there's you know like cutscenes in this game, like like Ninja Gaiden or something. You know, like you look at that and it's like oh my god, this is very it's a story. C- yeah, it's a very cinematic. There, there's cutscenes. There's you know, and the animation is solid. You know, for the Nintendo. But, you know, you, you didn't have that necessarily in, like, the certainly not in the Atari, uh, Atari era. And then when you had that in, like, the PlayStation, PlayStation era and the Nintendo 64 era, you look at it and you think, like, man, they really tried to do something unique here, yeah. and it didn't look very good. Except for, like, certain things, like cutscenes, I think, look good in that era. And, you know, uh, when they tried to st- stay with retro style stuff, like 2D and sprite-based animation, some of that stuff looks phenomenal. You know, on that era, because they weren't necessarily, like you said, trying to like, oh, we need to experiment and do this weird thing. It's just, hey, let's take what we already know how to do and just do it really well. Yeah. Um, I did have some pop culture references that were oh sure uh, related to this game. Uh, in an episode of South Park, uh-huh. uh, there's an episode where uh, Father Maxie is trying to change Vatican law and he has to travel through all these dungeons and stuff and it turns into Pitfall. <laughs> That's kind of funny. So he's like, he's like climbing down. He's like, oh my God, a snake. And then he like runs back and stuff like that. Um, it was featured in Call of Duty Black Ops 2 um, in the Nuketown map. If you shot the heads off all the mannequins within a certain amount of time, uh-huh. this screen would show Activision, which pop up, and then it would play a bunch of act- old Activision games from the 2600. <laughs> That's hilarious. Pitfall. Pitfall was one of them. That's cool. And then it was referenced in uh, the book Ready Player One. Yes. Uh, when he talks about the stacks and it's basically a, a game he created and it's like yeah it's basically just a pitfall ripoff so um it's it's a it's a hugely again with a lot of the Atari mm-hmm. games a hugely influential title I guess the arc this is a port so there was an arcade version of this game was there? which uh right I'm assuming um, I, I, I or is this made for Atari? This was programmed for the 2600. Oh, okay. That's probably why it is one of the better games. Yeah. It wasn't just a rip of an, uh, an arcade game because, you know, like Glitch was saying, like a lot of those arcade ports weren't that good, mm-hmm. you know, or they weren't very polished or they didn't take time on it. Like, like uh, well, they couldn't be the arcade game. Yeah, like, just couldn't in, capture what it was. In Patrick Hickey's book that we recently had an interview with him on, uh, which that title of the book is because it's really long chops. Oh, I just wanted to leave it hanging there for a second. Uh, the Minds Behind the Games <laughs> interviews with Colton Classic Game Developers. Thank you. I was about to stutter it out, but I knew I wouldn't, and I'm glad you made me feel like an idiot. You're welcome. I. Uh, Anyway, uh, in that uh, book, he interviewed the guy who did E.T., and the guy had like a, like a month to do it, right? Like, he didn't have any time at all, and so he had to rush it, and I think that's what happened with a lot of these Atari games, is that it was just sort of like, hey, we need this for Christmas, and they're like, it's it's December 13th, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, chop, chop, you know? And so they, it was just like this crazy rush, and, you know, like, it, like you know, something like Pitfall, they took their time on it, and it became arguably the best Atari game ever. I think what's unfair too with the uh, the programmer from ET is that I mean yeah people were just pushing games out like within a month and mm-hmm. they be, would be become successful. So it's like, kind of like they look at them like yeah you know uh, uh, McMahon wrote uh, this game like in two weeks. Like, why can't you do this in three weeks? <laughs> and, the, and the thing is too is he was on his own. He didn't have a team. <laughs> Poor guy. He was Poor just man. alienated. Poor man. And like I mean he you know, arguably bit off more than he could chew. He decided to do that. 
Yeah, but maybe he just needed to do it to keep his job. <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, I I I think even today the video game mar- like you know industry is a little cutthroat. You know, yeah. it's that's what I've I've heard you know before. I'm not in it, so I can't say for certain myself. But uh, man, I uh, did so you yeah, want um, to talk about the music in this game? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, lead us down uh, it. That's it. Yeah, all right, it's, uh, great. It's all great sound discussion on this music. Months. Can nope. we can we all do the Tarzan scream all at once? Uh, really. Come on. All right, count us down. Three, two. It's all of us swinging on vines. It's awful. (laughs) But I mean, that's kind of what the soundtrack to this is. It's kind of awful. Let's stop talking about Pitfall. And I guess we, since we don't have music, we just go into our retro relapse, right? I mean, we did just discuss the music. All right, let's get (laughs) let's get into our retro relapse. Thank you for listening to The Legend of Retro. Here's a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's me, everybody, Tim Kittrow. I'm here to talk to you about Old School Gamer. Old School Gamer is the magazine for gamers. It covers arcade and retro gaming, gives you gaming history and in-depth interviews with people like me who were there, and it lets you know what conventions are happening and when. Issues come out once every other month. Plus, a website full of even more razzle-dazzle, and it's all for just 30 bucks a year. So visit OldSchoolGamer.com and subscribe now. Jones in for a classic game. It's time for Retro Relapse on the Legend of Retro Podcast. Retro Relapse. All right, so today's relapse is a punishment. I feel like (laughs) I feel like ever since we let you choose the retro relapses glitch, (laughs) that uh yeah, we. You're I a monster. It. I regret this decision. You are a monster. This was an abomination under the Lord. It's your job now. You got to tell us which one we did. I have so many more games for you to play mm. too. Um, <sighs> uh, we played Hotel Mario for the CDI. The Philips Interactive Media Company made the CDI in 1994. Yeah, and, so and nobody bought it. Oh, so thank God. Nintendo was originally going to do an add-on, a CD-based add-on for the Super Nintendo. Kind of a cool idea. I mean, that's what Sega did. It didn't work out great for them. But, you know, that was sort of where the market was going. And Nintendo went to Sony and they're like, hey, you guys want to like make a video game system? And Sony's like, yeah, we'll help you make a video game system. We'll be the best partnership ever. It's, you know, it, like, you know, just think about it, Nintendo. We're going to eventually dominate the market. Sony, PlayStation and Nintendo together as one force. And then Nintendo goes, nah, goes to Philips instead. Sony then moves on to make the PlayStation which didn't exactly help Nintendo because it was incredibly successful. Mind you, Sony really wanted a lot of stuff in their deal, and that's why Nintendo backed out. But regardless, so Nintendo went to Philips and then didn't end up following through with them, but Philips got the rights to some of their characters, right? Do you feel any irony, too, in that whole situation with uh, Nintendo and PlayStation? Because they essentially, the same thing happened to them between Nintendo and Atari. Nintendo approached Atari, hey, we want to come out with this video game system, and Atari's like, yeah, 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 we'll get on that, and then nothing came about it, and then Nintendo (laughs) came out with their system, the NES. That's so sad. it was a success, and then they did the same thing over. Can you imagine, by by the way, sometimes I like to think about how would, like, I don't even know if there would be a video game, 
like uh, competition. I don't think Sega. I mean, clearly they didn't last long anyway. But I don't think they would have lasted like nearly as long as they did if Nintendo and Sony got together, dominated the market. Like we would ha- what have maybe Microsoft tried to make a system. So uh, maybe I'm, Microsoft and Sega would have teamed up. I'm really into the Man in the High Castle on Amazon right now, where it's an alternate reality if if the Soviets won World War Two. Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, the Nazis. Gonna say sorry, they, sorry, the Nazis. I was going to say, you know that the Soviets <laughs> were going against... Yeah, never mind. Yeah, I meant to say Nazis. Man, I'll, I'm just picturing a show now where in the reality <laughs> is Nintendo and Sony are one company and they're... Blows your mind. The Nintendo Enix and, uh, or something weird, I don't know. Uh, uh, and... Sontendo. Sontendo, I don't know. And, like... And they're going against Microsoft the, and Sega. Are... are Fame, like favorite role playing games, gonna be coming out. Can you? Uh, I would mean, would would? Oh my god! I can't even like I can't even fathom it right, right? now. How cool would that Holy be? Cow- no, I don't know. It'd be cool. It'd be frightening. Metal Gear Solid with Mario. That's what I'm thinking. Is like you'd have like, would you have Nintendo sprinkled in on every Sony game? I hope so. I don't. I don't want that. No. It's a Dino Crisis, but it's just Yoshi's that are coming at you. I mean. Ooh. <laughs> oh, oh, man. All right, let's get into this oh, game. Oh, man. Let's get into this game. So, Hotel Mario, the player controls Mario, and the plot is he must go find Princess Toadstool. Pretty, pretty standard. Uh, you know, by going through seven hotels in the Mushroom Kingdom uh, that are divided into stages and owned by Bowser, right? Yes. Bowser yeah, owns Bowser's real estate in this hotels. game. And the game. it's it's a game controlled with a remote, like not like a Wiimote, like a old television remote that had on, off, and channel up and channel down. So to explain p- people who obviously, I guarantee most of the people here haven't played the CDI, it has a controller. It's weird. It, like it a looks, remote controller. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like uh, the... The phaser from Star Trek. Was yes, that, is that what that's called? A phaser, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's it's got uh, like a D pad um, that you use to almost like a it's cursor. Not for even a, a D pad. Yeah. It's an up, left, right, and center button. Right, and then there's and I then there's, there's down. So there's right? three buttons. There's, there's three buttons. Maybe, oh no, three you're buttons. right. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's like a one, two, and three. Yeah, that's and right. those are your you know your controls. Kind of like Sega has A B C. That's essentially your. ABC. Oh, and then yeah, the D pad is the circle. And the D pad is the circle thing in the middle. But yeah. you kind of have to play. It's so it's it's held in one hand, but you still got to use two hands. Yes. awkwardly to play this game, and it's got a an LED light that you have to point towards. It's, a, it's not even LED. It's like I think it's like RF. All I know is that uh, Xander isn't here on this episode, but he's coming soon. And I hope he made lots of spaghetti. <laughs> the cutscenes. Oh, yeah, the cutscenes. The cutscenes. Oh, I completely forgot about How could you forget oh, the cutscenes? They're atrocious. It's flooding back into oh, my, my brain God, like so a nightmare. Oh, it's the best thing about the game. They were so I hope she culturally made lots of spaghetti. <laughs> hey, Luigi. Oh, and it, has your, the princess. and it has your favorite line, Craig. All toasters, toast, toast. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I, it's just how can like you. The game is your. You have to close doors. <laughs> That's it. Of hotels, it's so bad, and, and go you, in elevators. 
and jump on things and not get hit and get coins. But the the, like the only thing that matters is the hotel doors. You just close all the doors and uh, Mario does a little jig. He does a little dance and he flies away like a Woo! helicopter. That's um, so weird. The game, I appreciate his rainbow overalls. So uh, you start the game. It's a, just basically like a Mario game. You get hit, you die. Then you collect a mushroom. Then you have you know a buffer basically, and he has wears uh, rainbow, rainbow overalls. overalls. Uh, and then you can also get a star, which uh, makes you invincible. And then um, I never collected it because I, mm-hmm. I never got too far into the game. But apparently, you get a f- uh, firepower as well. Is what the manual had said. I can't imagine anything to make this game fun. <laughs> it, the the cutscenes are just so weird and awkward. Those are the only good thing about this game. But they're ironically good. It's not that they're good. I oh, think we yeah. can all agree that they are ironically good. Yes. It is so bad that you can't help but be enthralled like a train wreck. Just the the weird cultural insensitivity. The fact that like you know Mario and Luigi need to eat their spaghetti and like you know it's just there's a scene. Where, where the I think it's in Hotel Two, and we didn't get to this when we played in the retro relapse. But just from what I know, is that Mario and Luigi go to the second hotel, and it's like got the lights flickering on and off. It's the gimmick of the second hotel. And at the end of the level, or the end of the hotel, or whatever, they find out that the reason the lights are flickering on and off is because there's too many plugs plugged into the walls and like extension cords. And like Luigi's like, I think this is the problem. And Mario grabs a loaf of bread because there's a bunch of toasters all plugged in. And he goes, you know what they say? All toasters, toast, toast. And that's it. That's the cutscene. I don't understand. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Um, yeah. But I so and there's uh, there's seven areas. I believe there's five per um Per world is kind of like how it's, it is. So uh, I think it's 35 levels in total, and oh. you get a cutscene uh, after either five five or ten. But Seven hotels, each divided into stages. It doesn't say how many here. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, seven hotels, which keeps you for ten stages. Oh, so 70? 70. Oh, my God. 70 <laughs> levels. Yeah, so after every and ten. And each one, there's a boss fight with a Koopaling. After every oh, yeah, ten, the there's kids. a cutscene. Every ten, there's a cutscene. So It's okay. not even satisfying. No. No, it's not. Ugh. They they just basically it's the same enemies over and over. It's uh, Goombas, Koopa, Troopas, and Wigglers in awfulness and a whole lot of awfulness. awfulness. Search <sighs> Club Koopa Resort. Now who? Now this is something I blame on uh, the Mushroom Kingdom because like when you have your Mushroom Kingdom and you know you're like all right who are we gonna like you know let develop in our our kingdom and Bowser's like I want seven hotels. What possessed them to allow that? Oh, yeah, no big deal. You're just like the, the, the you know, the, this horrifyingly evil being who tries to kidnap me it's at a, every it's turn. A, it's a money laundering, a coin laundering. Coin front. laundering scheme. And so he can get all his coins uh, it, it washed and cleaned, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, jeez. Right. You know, just let his uh, dirty money cycle through the system. That's right. That's right. What do you guys give this on uh, 8-bit scale? 8-bit scale. I would probably give this a 1. A 1 out of 8. 1 out of no, 8. No doubt, 1 out of 8. The fact that this is a Mario game. If it wasn't a Mario game, I might have given it a little higher. But the fact that they took Mario, gave him crappy controls, the worst controls. The controls are so bad. The controller is terrible. These weird, awkward, animated cutscenes. It's just so weird and bad. One out of eight for me. I think this might be the first time I've given a game a one out of eight, oh, just wow. a resounding one. 
I love the cutscenes, and I think they're because you're Italian so and you appreciate it. Uh, but no, the controls are terrible, and it it's 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 aggravating, especially when you get into the later levels where some enemies take two hits and they start opening doors on lower <sighs> levels. I give this a two. If you want to see how we reacted to this on a first playthrough, you can go to Gamezilla Media's YouTube page. Yeah, so and if you go to watch us, the it's just suffer. Gamezilla Media is our uh, uh, you know page on uh, uh, YouTube. Yep, uh, it's also where my long plays are. So if you track that down, or if you already listen to my long plays, uh, or watch my long plays, uh, then go ahead and go on there. We'll make sure that we have this uh, posted up, and uh, you can see our reactions. And uh, I think I took it pretty well. <laughs> It was bad. It was bad. Yeah, I think it took a pretty I well. Think, I think Craig might have been crying at the end of the episode. Probably. I don't like to admit when I cry, but yeah, I think I was a little bit. It wasn't... It was It was bad. It was real bad. All right. Let's let's talk about something that's Let's talk wonderful. about something great. We're going to get into our, our uh, bracket for this week. Yeah, our Again, opening music yeah, bracket. Yeah, opening music bracket. So uh, this week, we have Dragon Warrior 7... Uh, the opening overture going against Sonic CDs. Sonic Boom. This is going to be a tough one. Yeah, so uh, 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 the opening to Dragon Quest Seven. Yes. is, uh, of course, composed by the legendary Koichi Sugiyama, who might be a madman, but he is also a musical genius. And uh, uh, th- this is a, a great track. And uh, the Glitch and I recently did... Uh, uh, well, maybe as this is releasing, the episode is releasing not that recent, but uh, we did Dragon Quest Seven uh, for The Legend of Retro, and it's both of us. So it's one of our favorite games of all time, and uh, I mean, this I just I love this theme. I love the opening. Let's go ahead and play it. we talked about on the episode i mean it, mm-hmm. it, it's it's one of the very few series that use the same song yeah. as their opening theme oh yeah it's uh, pretty cool it's the the overture is used in pretty much every uh dragon quest game now uh, uh in this case uh the version that's been chosen is from dragon quest 7 but really the overture is not it doesn't really it, it has slight maybe the slightest of variations in every game and usually it's just maybe what instruments particularly get yeah. played at a certain point you know but uh uh, next up, we have uh, Sonic Boom from 
Sonic CD for, of course, the Sega CD. Now, uh, Chops, there's a uh, uh, this is the version of the opening that was used in the North American version. Correct. So it was the North American version had uh, Spencer Nilsson, David Young, and Mark Crew who worked on the song. Um, but what was unique about the American version was that they also performed, they, they composed the song, but they had a, a female band, Pastiche, perform it. And then it consisted of Sandy Cressman, Jenny Meltzer, and Becky West. And uh, let's go ahead. And, oh, and of course, we already uh, did this episode as well yes. for The Ledge of Retro, me and Chops. And uh, well, we both really enjoy this song. So yes. let's go ahead and uh, give it a listen. Oh, I forgot to start it over. Let's start from the beginning. It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> it, it is so good. It's just so good. I love that song so much. It, don't get me wrong. The the Dragon Quest Seven Overture is is it's one of my favorites. I love the Overture theme. But they're both just uh, I can't I can't decide. This is gonna be an interesting week because they're two totally different songs. Oh yeah, hands <laughs> that, down. Vastly different. I feel like it's gonna be like that every week. There we have way more variety now in the brackets because it's just any retro game. It's not just from a particular system. So it'll be very interesting to see these games just it'll be like Nintendo games against like PC games yeah. and like, you know, PlayStation games and stuff. So we'll we'll uh see some interesting stuff, I think. Yep. So uh you can go to our Facebook page on Oh wow, Facebook! Wow, sorry. I <laughs> Facebook page on Facebook. Uh, Legend of Retro on Facebook. You can vote for these brackets on there. Um, you also can listen to our shows anywhere: iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, uh, Stitcher, all that place places. Well, I can't speak. You speak. <laughs> I no, I won't do it. No, I I you know make sure to uh, check out our uh, uh, retro relapse on YouTube. Make sure to uh, you know give that a watch and. Uh, Otherwise, uh, you know, I uh, just wanted to tell everyone that, you know, when you when you're listening to Legend of Retro and if you really, really like us, 
you can support us by going to patreon.com slash gamezilla media and you get a lot of fun perks for uh joining up on our patreon page like uh you know the game shark show that we do once a month we have uh uh you know bunch of bunch of fun stuff in the uh uh through our patreon page there and you can find all the podcasts on gamezillamedia.com so noobs and dragons uh we have now movie blast gamezilla media yep. gamezilla podcast yep um and last action podcast Mm-hmm. Yep, and then the Gamezilla podcast is live on twitch.tv slash Gamezilla Media every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, this was this was kind of a groundbreaking episode for us because we've never done Atari before, so that was kind of exciting. Uh, but otherwise, I do hope that you enjoyed the episode. Yes, yes. And we'll see you next time when, when the, the legend, legend continues. continues.